You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Good morning, everybody. Hey, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we uh, continue in our 2020 vision series where we are learning together what it means to be the church that God has called us to be. And I just want to say again, if you are a guest today, uh, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of the members and pastors, we really are so glad uh, to have you with us today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be. I'm really excited um, about this message. Uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of 2 Timothy. Whenever I was a college pastor, I was about 22 years old, um, the lead pastor of the church I was at, Dr. William Steger, uh, came to me one day and he said, you know, Jared, uh, you've got a lot of uh, giftedness, you've got a, lo- a lot of love for Jesus, but you do not know the Bible at all. And so I would like to start taking you through the scriptures. And so we started right here in 2 Timothy. And for a whole year, he would tell me every single day, I want you to read through the book of second Timothy. And then, so I would read through the book and then we would come together and he'd say, okay, I want you to find all the blessings and underline all the blessings. And I'd do that. Then I'd go back and he'd say, read it again every day and underline all the commands. And then I would do that. Then he'd say, you know, underline uh, all the warnings and then like find the names of the characters in second Timothy and learn about them. And we just do this for a whole year. And then I uh, turned around and I did this with a couple of college students, Matt Jackson, who's in our church and another guy named Kyle Pieri, who is a, a pastor now in uh, New Orleans. And um, it, it was just a beautiful time. I love this book, and yet I've never preached through it. Not once. And, and so I'm excited today to finally teach through it. I almost uh, decided not to teach this message. Um, it's such an important message. Um, I found out, like, I guess the last few days that apparently, like, the flu is back. And so I knew, like, half our church was going to be out. And last night, my wife, who has the flu, uh, I went to her, and I was like... Um, you know, I'm thinking about maybe switching messages because I think this is so important. I want as many people to hear it as possible. And I was like, what do you think I should do? And she was under the covers and she was like, tell them Jesus loves them, wash their hands and have a good week. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. And I was like, thanks for the help. And so I slept on the couch last night. And even as I was on the couch, I was like, maybe I could find another message I could recycle and, 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 and they would never know. And I would just use that with some different illustrations. But um, I've decided to stick with what God has given me out of Second Timothy. So Chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV translation, and uh, as always, the notes are on you version, uh, if that serves you. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray together one more time. 
Father, thank you so much for everyone who is here today. I believe, um, God, in your providence, there is um, no accidents, there's no coincidences, and I believe that each person is here because uh, you want us to receive a word from you. I thank you for how you've gifted our band, how they've already, um, through even the announcements with Luke and, and how the team has led us, how we have just been reminded of your presence and your love. You are here. And so I pray that right now that Holy Spirit, you will arrest our attention and, and give us exactly um, what we need to transform us from the inside out for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with my DNA. And if you're new to our church, DNA is just a group of, of three men or three women who are coming together for discipleship, nurture, and accountability. But I was sitting with my DNA and Brian Wilkins, uh, who is a part of my DNA, he looked at me and he said, hey, Jared, I got a question. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing our church right now? I want you to think about it. Somebody asked you that question. What is the biggest challenge facing our church right now? This is the question that Brian asked me. And, and without hesitation, the very first thing that came to my mind as soon as he asked the question is I said to him, um, I really believe that the, the biggest challenge that we have facing this church is a lack of spiritual leadership. And that may come as a surprise to you, but here's why I, I said that. The reason I, I said I believe that's our biggest challenge is because as pastors, um, we believe that if we are going to see this vision that we've been talking about over the last three or four weeks, if we're going to see this vision of God's kingdom come and his will being done in Northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven, if we're going to see that vision of human flourishing become a reality, um, then we are going to need to see as a church an increased number of men and women who are stepping up and into different forms of leadership. Men and women um, who are going to go from being able to just lead themselves to being able to lead others. And therefore, um, because this is true, because we believe that um, the health of a church um, hinges on, in many ways, the health of leadership or the lack thereof, um, all I want to do this morning, the time that we have, is I want to answer a simple question. And the question that I want to ask and attempt to answer is this question of what kind of leaders is God actually looking for? Um, if you were to get on Amazon right now, you were to type in leadership, you would find out there are over 100,000 books written on this topic. There are literally millions of podcasts and internet articles and resources all devoted to telling you what it means to be a good leader. And this morning, rather than go into a New York Times bestseller or a TED Talk or a, a podcast, I want to go straight to Scripture and I want to discover together the kind of leaders God is calling us to be, the kind of leader that brings about life rather than death, that brings blessing rather than brokenness. And if you're here and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, why in the world did I get up to hear a talk on leadership? I mean, what does leadership have to do with me? Well, in short, what I would say is, um, one, leadership is just influence. And so if you have influence of any kind, whether in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, at school, in work, then you are a leader, for better or for worse. And then secondly, what I would say is even if you're here and you have no desire to be a leader, um, you are going to constantly be putting yourself under the leadership of others. In fact, to be a part of a church, you are commanded in Hebrews 13 to submit to your leaders. And so you need to know, like, what kind of leader are you being called to follow and submit to? So again, this is a relevant topic for every single one of us, no matter who you are or where you come from. And so with that in mind, look back with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and just to set the context for you, the Apostle Paul 
is coming to the end of his life. And before he departs from this world, he sits down and he writes First and Second Timothy, which is his last message to his chief disciple, his son in the faith, Timothy, who is currently pastoring at the church in Ephesus. And if you know anything about the church of Ephesus, you know that this is a church that was launched as an extraordinary move of God, which you can read about in Acts 19. However, despite their incredible beginnings, this church has now begun to become apathetic. Uh, their love for Jesus has begun to grow cold. The honeymoon stage is over, and uh, now that they have some good things going on, their passion is beginning to fade. And I want you to just think about this for a second. Here is Paul, okay, this former old Jewish rabbi who has been radically converted to Jesus. This is a man who has launched churches all over the Roman Empire. Uh, this is a man who watches God transformed cities in radical ways. This is a man who walked in such a power that literally his handkerchief, if you touched it, would heal you, the Bible says. Um, so this is an incredible man with an incredible ministry, and now he comes to the end of his life. And if you've ever been around someone who is dying, if you've ever been around someone who's going to impart to you last words, you know they don't waste their breath. Uh, you're not going to walk into a room if someone's dying, you know it's their last words, and they're going to be like, hey, how do you think the Cardinals are going to be this year? Right? Like, or how, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Like, they are going to be very intentional about what they are going to tell you. And so Paul here, he knows he's coming to the end of his run. He could have said anything he wanted, but as he comes to the end of this letter, because the Apostle Paul knows that the future of the church depends on the quality of the leaders in that church, he says, let me just take a moment and tell you the kind of leaders that God wants. And if you notice, the first thing Paul says... As he says, when you were looking for leaders, look for men and women who are strong in the grace of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus means that you literally get your strength from Jesus. It means you're the kind of person who gets your strength from the fact that you are not only now perfectly accepted by God in Christ, but you also have everything that you need in the Spirit to do what God is calling you to do. This, according to Paul, is the number one thing he says that you have to get if you want to be a strong and healthy leader. He says your identity needs to be firmly rooted in Christ. You need to know who you are in Jesus. And you need to know that you are, as a human being, perfectly accepted now before God, before you ever even lift a finger for him. You need to know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in you to empower you to do everything Jesus has called you to do. So you're not alone. You're actually loved. You're, you're accepted before God. And listen, this is so important that we get this because if you do not have an identity rooted in Christ, when you try to do the work of ministry, you will try to do it in your own power and you will try to do it in order to prove yourself to God or others. And you should have noted that like, that is a recipe for disaster. Like, take it from someone who has struggled with this most of my life. Nothing will lead you to burn out faster than trying to do God's work apart from God's power for the purpose of proving yourself to others. And you see, because Paul knows this is true, he says, before you get anything else, you have to get this. If you want to be a healthy leader, you have to be strong in the grace of God. And then next Paul goes on and he says, uh, when it comes to spiritual leadership, not only do you need to find people who are strong in the grace of God, you need people you can trust. If you look in verse 2, he says, The things you have heard from me, or the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. 
The word that is used here for entrust literally means to put something of value into the care of another. And so think about it like this. My wife and I have three kids, okay? And um, here's the thing. Like any good parent, we love our children. Yeah, there we are. This is the only picture where all of us are looking at the camera and smiling, by the way, literally. And so um, we love our children. We cherish our children. We, we value our children. My wife and I love our children more than anyone or anybody else in the world next to Christ and one another. And therefore, if we go on a trip or, or we're going to go on a date, if we find someone to watch our kids, we want to find someone whom we can trust, which means we want to find someone who we know will care for our kids and guard our kids and protect our kids with their very lives. And you see what Paul is saying here when he says, find leaders you can trust. He is saying, find men and women who value and cherish the gospel in such a way that they will protect it and they will guard it with everything that they have. Do you realize that apart from the gospel, people are destroyed? You ever thought about that? Like apart from the gospel, people perish. They face the judgment of God. They face torment for all eternity. Apart from the gospel, literally, people believe lies that lead them down a path of destruction. And that's why the gospel is so valuable. Because in the words of Paul in Romans 1, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the good news message that informs us how we can actually go as sinners from being enemies of God to being his beloved children. I began to think about that this past week, and I began to think about the people in our city. People right now who are walking around with serious regrets. People who are filled with anxiety and guilt and shame. People who are desperately trying to patch together some sort of identity and self-worth because they have no idea who they are. People who cry themselves to sleep at night. People who are enslaved by addictions and pursuing things that will destroy them. People who literally are in debt up to their eyeballs because they keep buying stuff they do not need with money they don't have to impress people who don't even care about them. And the one thing that all of these people have in common is like us, they all stand in desperate need of the good news of the gospel, which alone can provide us with the forgiveness and the fulfillment, the salvation and the satisfaction that we desperately long for. As many of you know, um, it was a week ago today that Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, along with I think seven others, lost their life in a helicopter crash. And on Friday night, I um, actually went out to the Tech Paragold game with Adam and Matt. And after that, I, I came home and I began to watch a tribute to Kobe Bryant before the Lakers game. It was the first time the Lakers had played at the Staples Center since Kobe's death. And so they wanted to, to, to honor his life. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and, and out walks Usher. Anybody remember Usher from the 90s? You know, you make me one. Like that Usher? Okay. <laughs> Out walks Usher. And uh, here he is, center stage, right? I mean, right at half court. Spotlight is on him. Millions of people are watching around the world. And you know what song Usher opens with? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why? Why in the word of the Laker organization? That is not a Christian organization, by the way. Why did they say, hey, you know what we need to do? Millions are watching. This is all about We need to open with amazing grace. Why? Because here's what they understand. It doesn't matter how rich you are or famous you are or athletic you are or successful you are. One day, each person will draw their last breath on earth. And at the end of the day, only the gospel has the power to give us the hope and the healing that we desperately need.
And because Paul gets this, because he knows how valuable and important the gospel is, he says to Timothy, when it comes to looking for leaders, look for people you can trust with the message of Jesus, who trust, like look for people who, who, who understand how valuable Jesus really is. And then finally, when it comes to raising up leaders, he says, not only do you need leaders who are strong in grace, not only do you need leaders who value the gospel, but verse 2, he says, you need to look for reliable leaders who are able to teach others also. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, and I understand some of you in here, you're not, and um, I want you to know you're welcome here. We, as we say b- before, uh, this is a place where you can belong before you believe, and you can work through all of your doubts and fears and questions in a safe environment, and we'll give you time to do that. And so um, if you're here not a disciple, welcome. But if you are here and you're a disciple of Jesus, please hear me, and you've been coming around for a while, you need to know that this is a church where as pastors we are not okay with you just hanging out. Um, as we say a lot, this is a place where it is okay to not be okay. It's not okay for you just to want to stay there. Um, just as it would be dysfunctional for me to let my kids act like kids when they're 35 years old, just as I want my kids to grow up, like as pastors, we want to see you grow up. We want to see each of you go from being spiritual infants to spiritual children, to spiritual adolescents, to eventually spiritual adults. Um, I want you to know on behalf of the pastors, we do not expect perfection. We really don't. But we do expect progress. We do expect you to go from being able to, to be fed, to feed yourself, to eventually be able to feed others. And this is what Paul is getting at when he says to Timothy, look for reliable people who are able to teach others. In other words, don't look for consumers, but rather look for people who are willing to take what they have been taught and then pass it on to others so that they can grow up into Christ. Remember, this is what Dr. Steger told me whenever we were going through this passage in 2 Timothy. He says, I'm only going to go through this with you if you'll find other guys to do this with. So I'll pick Matt Jackson and I pick Kyle Pieri. Right, that's what Paul is getting at here. You don't just take what you get, sit on your notes and say, okay, like now I got more information. You literally, as you're even hearing this right now, should be thinking, how can I take what I'm learning and impart it to others? This is the kind of leader God is looking for. It's the kind of leader that people flourish under. It's the kind of leader that brings about life rather than death. It's a leader who Paul says is strong in grace. They value the gospel and they're willing to pass on what they have been taught for the benefit of others. Now, with that being said, before we go any further, I want to just stop right here for a moment. I want us all to do some personal, um, just, a, just a personal assessment. In light of the ground we've covered so far, don't think about your neighbor, think about yourself and ask yourself these questions. Am I rooted in the grace of God? Is my identity rooted in the love the Father has for me? Am I aware of what I got? Some of you, you hear me talk about the gospel and you say, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Let's go on to something new. You don't know what you have, if that's your response. Are you aware of what you've got? Do you see the treasure you now possess in Christ? Are you taking what you have been learning and actually seeking to teach it and pass it on to others? This is the kind of leader God is looking for. And then if you keep reading, what Paul's going to do now is he's going to lay out for us in this passage this three-headed metaphor that shows us what it looks like to be this kind of leader. And if you look with me in verse 3, Paul begins to explain this metaphor, and he does so, listen to this, by using what I think is the most least attractive phrase imaginable if you were trying to recruit new leaders. And here's his phrase, verse 3, join me in suffering. This whole following Jesus thing, Paul says, like it's really hard. 
In fact, like I'm suffering a lot, and therefore I just want to take a moment. I want to invite each of you to join me in suffering. I mean, this might be one of the worst leadership recruiting strategies of all time. But what a concept. Because what Paul understands is something we all need to understand today, and it's the reality that things are built by people who are willing to suffer. In the words of former President Theodore Roosevelt, never throughout history has a man who lived a life of ease left a name that is worth remembering. And you see, because Paul knows this is true, because Paul knows that spiritual leadership is anything but easy, because he knows that nothing significant happens apart from hard work, he starts his recruitment speech and he says, join me in suffering. And then as we keep reading, Paul now is going to give us these three different metaphors that tell us what kind of suffering we can experience and expect as leaders. And the first metaphor, if you look, the first metaphor that he gives us is a military metaphor. Look in verse 3. Paul says, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now here, Paul, when he's talking about a soldier, clearly would have been referring to a Roman soldier. And I'm sure Andy here could tell us much more about Roman soldiers. But in essence, here's what you need to know. To be a Roman soldier, you had to commit to serving for a 20-year period. During that time, you would not be allowed to marry. And you would also have your allegiance to Rome tattooed on your body as a physical reminder of whom you owed your allegiance and loyalty. In fact, if you left the military, like it could be punishment like you could literally die. Like, they would kill you for leaving. And so, therefore, to be a Roman soldier was about focus. It was about single-mindedness. It was about commitment. It was about courage. It was about sacrifice. I was thinking uh, about the movie 1917. How many of you have seen the movie 1917? Anybody in here? It's a fantastic movie. I went and watched it about, uh, I guess it's about three weeks ago, with about ten different guys in the church. And it's an excellent movie. I won't give away uh, any, you know, no spoiler alerts here. But in, in short, basically the movie is about um, this guy you see on the, on the scene, on the uh, screen here, Lance Corporal Schofield. And he has been charged, he has been called by the general of the army to take a message to the 2nd Battalion of the British Army. And what he's told them is, look, um, the British Army is planning to attack tomorrow morning. Um, they think that they are actually going to outnumber the Germans and they're going to like surprise them and be able to kill all of them. But the reality is the Germans have, have tricked them, they've lured them in. And if they attack, we could possibly lose 1,600 men. And so I need you to take this message uh, to the leader of the 2nd Battalion and let him know the attack is off. And, and you got to get there by tomorrow morning because, again, they'll all die if you don't get there. And so um, throughout the movie, obviously, this guy is traveling behind enemy lines to try to deliver this message to the 2nd Battalion. There's this one scene where he is uh, in this city, and there's all these uh, you know, enemy, all these German soldiers around him trying to kill him. And so he sneaks into this little room. And in this room, this little building, he finds this beautiful woman who is there with a baby. And I think they got like a fire going, so it's warm, it's safe. And he begins to talk with her. And you feel this tension because you're like, here's a guy who hasn't seen a woman in who knows how long. Here's a beautiful lady who wants him to stay the night with her. And, and you just, it's safe, it's warm. You're like, oh man, like I could feel the tension there if just wanting to be there. And all of a sudden he's talking to this woman and he hears the clock, you know, sound out for midnight. You know, here's the clock dinging. And, and, and all of a sudden he realizes, wait a minute, like, no, I've got a job to do. And so he gets up. And he begins to walk out the door. And she's like, don't leave. Like, the enemy's out there. Like, it'll be daylight soon. You're going to die. And in essence, what he does is he looks at her and just says, look, I've been given a mission from my commanding officer. The general of the army has entrusted me with a message that must be delivered for the salvation of many. Therefore, I have to keep moving. 
And as I thought about that this past week, I thought, man, that's the kind of leader God is looking for. He's not looking for someone, Paul says, who lives like a civilian. He's not looking for someone who tries to be as safe and comfortable as possible or lives for their personal gratification. Paul says in here, God wants leaders who understand the mission they have been sent on. He is looking for men and women who are not trying to live to please man, but live to please the commanding officer, Jesus Christ. You know, another thing about a soldier is a soldier has a clearly identified enemy. And if you remember back in the fall, we spent about seven, eight weeks talking about spiritual warfare, uh, about the fact that we have a real enemy right now who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you and me. And I think it's so important that we get this because, listen, if you do not have a Satan in your biblical theology, you will turn other people into Satan. You will demonize others in the church and outside the church, and you will fight all of the wrong fights, and you will become ineffective as a soldier. The truth is today, guys, listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have been left on this earth to join Jesus in pushing back the forces of darkness. You too, like the man in 1917, have been given a message to deliver for the salvation of others. This is what it means to be a soldier. And this is the first metaphor that Paul gives to help us understand what it looks like to live as a leader. Next, Paul goes on, and the second metaphor that he gives us is that of an athlete. If you look in verse 5, Paul says the following, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now, what were the rules? Well, there were three in ancient Greek in order to compete in the Olympics, and here they are. Rule number one, you had to be born into the right nation. Rule number two, you had to commit to 10 months of intensive training. And rule number three, you had to compete according to the rules in the Olympic Games. And here's the thing. If you didn't compete according to the rules, it didn't matter how athletic you are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. If you were not follow the rules, you would not be allowed to compete. And therefore, you would not be able to receive the crown, the prize that every athlete wanted to receive. And therefore, with that in mind, what Paul is getting at here is this, and please hear me. What Paul is getting at here is what you do in secret matters. Despite what you have been told, please hear me. It is not what a leader does in public or on a platform, but it is what a leader does in private that determines whether or not there will be victory in the mission God has given us. And because Paul knows this is true, because He knows that there are God-given rules we are called to follow. He says, when it comes to spiritual leadership, make sure you find leaders who refuse to take a shortcut. Make sure you find leaders who, rather than compromising, or make sure that you find leaders. What Paul's getting here ultimately is that, that choose to do the right thing even when no one else is around. And so this first metaphor, the soldier, is all about courage and commitment. This metaphor is about character. It's about your character. And here's why a leader's character is so important. Listen to what Dallas Willard says. This is such a good word for our cultural moment. Dallas Willard says this. Human problems cannot be solved by human means. Human life can never flourish unless it pulses with the immeasurable greatness of of God's power in us and through us. However, listen to this. Only serious disciples of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling to be God's person for their time and place in the world. They are, he says, the only ones that can develop the kind of character that make it safe to steward such power. Put another way, what Willard is saying is, you listen, 
You cannot steward godly power apart from godly character. And therefore, Paul says, when looking for leaders, looking for men and women who are seeking to uh, look for men and women, he says, who are seeking to compete according to rules, who are seeking to be obedient to Jesus, even when no one else is looking. And by the way, what is the opposite of an athlete? Yeah, it's a spectator. I mean, it's, it's someone, and by the way, we have turned, like, being a spectator into a sport now. Like, it's amazing. Like, we paint our bodies up. We'll see it for Super Bowl, right? And we'll just sit there and yell at a team and stuff our food, you know, stuff our mouth with food and then, like, go home, right? But the opposite of an athlete is a spectator. It's someone who's undisciplined. They just sit there, and typically they try to play armchair quarterback. You know what I'm talking about? And they just tell everybody else, like, how they're doing it wrong and how if they were there, they would have done it so much better. And what Paul says is when you look for leaders, don't look for spectators, look for athletes. Look for people who are, in the words of Randy Rogers, willing to put some skin in the game. Look for people who are willing to get on the field and take a few shots. And even when it feels like they're losing, even when it would be easy to quit or compromise or take a shortcut, find leaders who continue to run and compete with integrity. And then finally, Paul says, using the last metaphor, he says, not only are we need leaders that are like soldiers and like athletes, but we need leaders that are like farmers. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you had breakfast this morning? Say a show of hands. Okay. Um, hands down. Let me ask you this. How many of you can honestly tell us the process, the entire process it took to get that food that you ate from the farm to your table? One. Was that like, what does that mean, Matt? Kind of, sort of. That means that was the beginning, the middle of the Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. So one and a half of you, right? Um, for the majority of us, we want nothing to do with the process of getting food from the farm to the table. Because we live in an instant gratification Amazon Prime culture. By the way, Amazon Prime's not even fast enough now. Like eventually it's going to be Amazon now or Amazon immediately. I mean, the, the personal lament I have when I can't get a package in two days is real. It's like, what do you mean I can't have it by when, until Wednesday? It's Sunday. Are you kidding me? Right? Like, we are a culture built on speed. And this is a huge problem when it comes to spiritual leadership because, listen, if you think that food takes a long time to grow, you should see how long spiritual maturity and the character of Jesus takes to form in the life of somebody. It's a long, slow, hard process. There's seed, there's soil, there's season, there's water, and there's, there's this whole process. And listen, that's a big cost of leadership. Because when it comes to spiritual leadership, you are, you, it requires this oversight of a spiritual growth that is often unspectacular, slow, and I would say barely even perceptible at times to the human eye. Um, as most of you know by now, I love to garden. I love growing vegetables. My wife and I have a garden in our backyard. And there's all these, yeah, there's a picture of, of our garden from last year, part of our garden. Um, there's all these things you have to do to garden. You have to compost. You have to prepare soil. You have to seed. You have to water. You have to fight off pests. You have to work in the heat. You have to work in the cool. Uh, yesterday, matter of fact, uh, on my day off yesterday, I was building bluebird houses to attract bluebirds to try to eat the pests in our garden. And I was spreading compost in the garden, just trying to prepare it for what's coming. So there's a lot of work when it comes to gardening. But here's the thing. Eventually, if you will stay at it, the reason I do this is because I know through a little bit of grit and a lot of grace, eventually I'm going to get a harvest. Right? And here's the thing about a harvest. Here's what I've realized. Whenever I eat the vegetables that I've grown, 
I think it's the best thing I've ever tasted. But there's something odd. Because when I share the harvest with others, whether it be people in my missional community or my mom and dad or, or neighbors or whatever else, I will give them the food and I'll be like, you taste that? Yeah. <laughs> and they'll be like, uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, the taste. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm like, pretty good? It's amazing. What do you mean it's pretty good? I used to get really discouraged. But you know what I've realized? What I'm tasting is different than what they're tasting. Because what I'm tasting is months of prayer and nurture and work and sweat and toil. Which is why to me, it tastes amazing. And listen guys, please hear me. It's the same thing when it comes to leadership. The people in this church or in life in general who are most excited about what God is doing is not consumers but contributors. It's the people who are willing to put in the work. Man, I think about our core group of people who started the church. And I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful because there was a a season where all I had was a vision of what I wanted the church to look like. There wasn't anything on paper yet. And I would go to people and I would ask them, hey, do you want to be a part of this church? You know what they would ask me? You got a youth ministry? No, I don't got a youth ministry. You got uh, something for kids? No, 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 nothing for kids right now. You got a building? No. You got a budget? No, I don't have a budget either. Okay, well, no, thank you. That's, really, that's, that's what most people would say. But we had a core group of people. And I'm so thankful they're all still here today. A handful of people who said, you know what? We'll join you. Like, we'll help you till. We'll help you water. Like, we'll serve. We'll give of our finances to this vision, even though right now it's nothing more than a seed. I think of the Rogers who are here, the second row. I mean, I remember whenever you guys and the carpenters came and were like, you were a part of a traditional church where you were, and you were deeply rooted, and it's comfortable, and it's safe. But I remember you came, and you're like, you want some old people in the church? And it's like, you know, because we were all in our 20s. You're like, we were the youngins where we came from, but we'll be the senior adults here or whatever, you know. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, really, y'all will leave what you got there, and you'll join this awesome. And I look back, man, as a result, I mean, just look where we are today. I mean... Last week, I can't remember how many we had, like 537 people. We started with five people. We have over 500 in our services last week between the two of them. People have come to Christ. We've planted a church. Marriages have been restored. People have been healed. Demons have, I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. And here's the thing. Now, whenever people show up, I mean, it's kind of just an already made product, isn't it? And for the most part, it's just kind of an already made product. And so now what happens a lot of times, it's easy to show up and just kind of consume it and be like, thumbs up, I like it, I'll stick around, or thumbs down. Like, I'm going to go down, you know, to the one of the other 80 churches in the city and find out which one I like best. But in the early stages, when there was nothing sexy or attractional about this whatsoever, you had people who could see the potential and said, I will join you in tilling and sowing and planting and watering, and I will trust as we do our work, God will do his work, and eventually he'll bring about the growth. Like, guys, that's the kind of leaders that God is looking for. I love this word from John Tyson. He says this, Everybody loves to show up when you're winning. Nobody wants to build the team. Everyone loves to show up when it's on fire, but nobody wants to gather the wood. At the crossing, we're looking for leaders who want to help build the team, who want to help gather the wood. And listen, I know for many of you, you're doing this. I just want to say thank you. So many of you, you are giving a lot, you're serving, you're pouring into others. And I know that when you're doing this, sometimes, man, you you look and you're like, am I making a difference at all? 
Like, has anything happened as a result of this? And I just want to encourage you, if that's you today, don't give up. Don't stop sowing seeds. For some of you, the harvest is just around the corner. And according to Paul, what does he say here? If you will stay at it, you will be the first to receive the share of the crops. You will get the fruit, and it will be sweeter, and it will be better than you could ever imagine. I truly believe that God's hand is on this church, and I say that because we talk about it all the time. There's things that happen every single week that we're just like, this is unbelievable. I mean, the things that God does, it's just it's incredible to think what God has done over the last seven and a half years, but I really believe as a pastor that our best years are ahead of us. I shared this with you at our members meeting a few weeks ago. Um, the first seven years of a church is really about planting the church. It's kind of building the plane as we're flying, and that's new and exciting. The next seven years in our church, I believe, is going to be about establishing the plant, and that can feel a little bit mundane, right? We can become apathetic if we're not careful. But if unlike the church of Ephesus, if we will not let our passion for Jesus grow cold, if we will not sit back on the sidelines and be like the spectator, if we will continue to sow and till and water, I believe years 15 plus is really going to be a time of flourishing for our church. And just to be clear, when I say flourishing, I don't mean that like God's going to grow us really wide. I don't think God's really that concerned about that. Like just getting a lot of people here. I'm talking about not growing wide, but I'm talking about when I say flourishing, growing deep. I believe like we're going to establish deeper roots than we ever have before. And we're going to be like that tree in Psalm 1 and Isaiah that literally is just bearing this fruit no matter what season. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. This is the kind of work that I believe God wants to do in our church. God spoke to me this this past week and just reminded me, Jared, it is not about the size of the tree, but it's about the quality of the fruit that matters. God does not need a large church. What we need is not a large church. We need quality fruit where people can taste and see that God really is as good as he says he is. This is the kind of church I believe that God is wanting to form us into, but here's the thing, and I'm almost done. This will not happen if people are not stepping up into spiritual leadership. It won't happen. It won't happen. It won't happen if we don't have more and more men and women who are moving from a place of, of I need to be fed to now I'm able to actually feed myself to now I actually want to help feed others. And if you're here today and you're like, why in the world would I step into any sort of spiritual leadership? I mean, dang, dude. I mean, like, that's a lot of work. I'm comfortable. I'm safe. I mean, I kind of like just coming and sitting and taking a few notes and checking out. Why would I want to step up into something like that? Because, listen, here's the promise. Beyond the warfare is victory. Beyond the athlete's effort is the prize. And beyond the agricultural labor is a harvest that is sweeter and better than you could ever imagine. With that being said, as we end, Paul wants to now invite us to reflect and to remember. In verse 7, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, and we're done this morning, but he says, reflect on what I am saying For the Lord will give you insight in all this and remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. As we end today, I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Here's the first call. Reflect on what I have said. Ask yourself this question right now. If I was in the church of Ephesus, would the Apostle Paul ask me to be a leader? Would Timothy come to me and say, I want you. Would he come to you and say, man, you are so strong in grace. You clearly value the gospel. You're someone I can trust. You're someone who will take what is being taught and you're teaching to others. You're like the soldier, like the athlete, you're like the farmer. Is that what Timothy would say? For some of you, if you can be honest this morning, I say this with love in my heart, 
but you need to be honest about the fact that you are settling right now for a mediocre life. Some of you are giving your time, talents, and treasures of things that I promise you will not matter when you're on your deathbed. And today I would just encourage you to confess that to God, to repent, to say, I don't want to live like a civilian anymore. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be a consumer. I want to run in such a way to win the prize. I want to gather the harvest. When it comes to my time to die, I want to die with my boots on. So reflect on what I've said. Secondly, not only do we need to reflect, but I would say this to end, you need to remember Jesus. And you know why you need to remember Jesus? Because none of us have been perfect leaders. None of us have. And therefore, we need to remember the only perfect leader to ever live, Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate soldier who conquered the great enemy of Satan, sin, death, and hell on your behalf. He is the ultimate athlete who competed according to the rules. He never once sinned or cheated. And he is the ultimate farmer who not only came to plant seeds, but the Bible says he became like the seed that went to the ground and died. And through his death, he has now released life for the benefit of you and me. And with that in mind today, I want to encourage you to stand as the band comes forward and as a way of remembering Jesus as the perfect soldier, athlete, and farmer, you're invited to this table. And here's the process. Guys, think about this. I know physically, like, we may not know the process of how this juice got here and this bread got here, but the reason you're invited to the table is because of the process of the gospel. This bread and this juice that you're about to take came at an incredible cost for you and me. It came at the cost of God's own son. And I want you to remember as you come and take of it, of all the areas, yes, you have fallen short, but then as you tear off a piece of bread and you dip it into the juice, I want you to remember Jesus and that now you are fully forgiven and free in him. If you are here and you're a disciple of Jesus, we have two stations in the front. We have two in the back. You can pick whichever one you want to partake of. If you're here today and you're not a disciple of Jesus, again, welcome. So glad that you are here. You are giving your life to something today. I want to call you to give your life fully to Jesus and to trust that he knows better how to run your life than you do. And if you want more information about what that looks like, I'll be right up here in the front. And Luke's here, Chuck's here. We'd love to talk to you about next steps. That being said, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who um, was able to be here this morning. I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, that you will just take this word, which is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray that it would pierce our hearts. Maybe for some of us, we have hard hearts. It's hard for the seed to get to, and I pray that you would soften our hearts, Holy Spirit. Help us to receive everything that we need to receive today so that it can produce a fruit that is good for us, good for our city, good for our families, and glorifying to you. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.